Welcome to From the Heart with Daniel Groom and Don Lister of Anahata Yoga Centre. Today we are speaking to Lisa Cayley-Isley and Lisa is a yoga teacher, a yoga therapist and a clinical psychologist. Now Lisa is from all over the world, originally American, lived for some time in the UK and is now resident in the Netherlands. So she says she is truly a resident of the world. Really looking forward to this conversation. So welcome, Lisa. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Uh, we're really, really excited to talk to you. So let's just check in how we all are. Daniel, how are you? How's your day? How's your week? What's going on? Hi, Dawn. Hi, Lisa. Um, today is a good day. I'm excited. Lisa's here. Lisa's my teacher and has been for quite a few years. So it's really lovely to be able to have her in this little community that we've built online and to, to, to share some wisdom and that I know Lisa's going to impart to us. Um, this week has been a tough old week. Um, you're probably listening to this early January, but this has been recorded mid-December and we've just gone back into lockdown number three. Um, so we found out yesterday and I was feeling quite overwhelmed yesterday. So I was kind of like, right, I need to get out of the house. I need to get away from technology. So I went for a run and I ran down to the beach and it was the most beautiful day ever yesterday. It was stunning. It was cold, but it was hot from the sun, but it was really cold. And the sea was right in and I sat on this little rock right on the edge of the sea and I couldn't hear anything because the road was behind me, the sea was in front of me and the sun was on my face and I was just like, okay, this feels a little safe bubble for me to be here for a while. And it was just, you know, you just think the simplest things in life you just need to be near or next to or, or taking in. So yeah, it, it helped make the afternoon of yesterday seem a little bit softer because I got a bit of sunshine and heard those waves <laughs> and also exercised my body as well. So yeah, so, um, and how are you doing Dawn today? Yeah, I'm good. Is that I'm just reflecting that our podcast is called From the Heart and I'm always banging on about um, welcoming and whatever's true for you in the moment. And uh, even if in the moment things are difficult. And I know for me, things are difficult this week. I've lost two people who I cared about a lot and uh, we've gone into lockdown. <laughs> it's been a bit mad, hasn't it? So from my heart, there's some pain, but there's also with pain on reflection, there's great learning, there's great wisdom, there's space for acknowledging the love and the experiences I've had with those people. And so it's kind of bittersweet, isn't it? You know, you can be, even in great suffering, there's such beauty to be had. So yeah, that's where I am. And I'm, yeah, I'm feeling you know, very up and down. I think that's quite, we, we did this grief podcast a few weeks ago, didn't we, Daniel? And so how poignant to have had that, those conversations just before this all happened to me, or, you know, around me. So, you know, I'm just kind of embracing where I am and feeling really grateful for the time and experiences I had with loved ones. And yeah, yeah, I feel sad, but good, sad, but good. And very much looking forward to speaking to Lisa. Yeah, that's where, that's where I am. Lisa, how's things with you? What's going on? 
Well, similar things for in the outer world, um, the Netherlands went into its, its lockdown too. And I, like everybody else, ran out to the shops as soon as I heard everything was closing. And it was, and I thought, this is the absolute wrong thing to be doing. <laughs> because I went out in the streets in our little village in the Netherlands, and there were more people in the street than there have been at any time I've seen since I moved here. And only about a third of the people were in their masks. And I thought, you know, if we're locking down, there's a good reason. So we should be, so I, I got flowers, which I decided were an essential for me that would not be an essential shop that would be open the next day <laughs> and came on back home. But then later that evening when I was thinking about, well, that's all right, I, I'm gonna take two weeks off over the holidays. And really what I wanna do is have time at home and have time in nature, so that's okay. And then I was bustling around in the kitchen at the end of my day and then I was reaching for a cookie and I knocked this big glass thing off the cat, apparently just reaching across and it landed on my toe and broke my toe and it really hurt. And I thought, you know, I've, I've knocked my toe before, but I've never broken a bone before. And, and it hurt way worse and longer than I thought it was going to, you know, and then it, it turned out it's, it's broken. So instead of going out in nature, I think I'll be doing the staying at home part for the next two weeks. <laughs> um, but I got some really excellent health care yesterday. I got a diagnosis, I got treatment, and, um, and I'm in less pain. And the rest of me other than my toe feels quite good actually, except for the fact that I don't get to go for a run like Daniel to the beach now. That, that's, my, that's my sadness, but I'm okay. I'm good. That's wonderful. Wonderful to hear you're good amongst the suffering of a broken toe. I can just imagine how painful that would be. It's one of those excruciating pains, isn't it? Any just stubbing your toe makes you feel a bit sick. So, oh, I send you good wishes for swift healing. <laughs> Thank you. And I send them right back to you. Thank you. Thank you. And, I got, and I guess for our listeners, you know, I'm sure all of you are having your own challenges and experiences around this lockdown and what's going on in the world. And, you know, just know that you are loved and you're, you're held in our heart. And we hope that you're finding your own way through this difficult time. So Lisa, I'm so excited to speak to you about your journey as a yoga teacher and then yoga therapist. Um, so can, let's just kick off with that. Let's start. Can you tell us a little bit about how you ended up what you're doing, doing what you're doing. And, and also for our listeners, explain what is a yoga therapist? Because they perhaps maybe want to understand that in um, relation to perhaps what a yoga teacher might be. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll put that in as I go. But I, I'll start it at, um, I had never heard of yoga until I was 30. So I'm, I came later to the practice of yoga and my best friend who introduced me to my husband also introduced me to yoga and then she disappeared from my life. It was like she had a real purpose in my life. And uh, she, we went to an eight week Shivananda course that she had found. I absolutely loved it and she hated it. <laughs> and so I did the eight weeks, but then it was an all complete Shivananda, you know, like, um, wear the white robes, eat the vegetarian food. And that was a bit far in my life. And I didn't know anybody else living their life like that. And so I absolutely loved certain elements of it, but I didn't know anybody around me that supported or sustained me in doing this, what felt like a very radical thing. 
And then I moved to Colorado and I found that there were many more people who were around me who were into that and could support and sustain that. So I started seeking out yoga teachers and going to practices and, and my love just continued to deepen about how I felt because I've always been somebody who was physically active and very spiritual. And I really, and I became a psychologist, I say, because it's the Western version of being a yogi. That's what I think. It's all about the mind and the alleviation of suffering. And that's what yoga is about. And the, the being our highest, best self, yoga has even more of a transformational and tr a transcendent process to it than psychology does. But I think that's how I found it. That, and I was always looking for something that united this ability to be active in my body and a spiritual being. So when I became a psychologist, and the reason I moved to Colorado was I was really interested to know, I, I was aware that people would get interested in their minds and they would misinterpret or not accurately interpret the signs of their body. And that people would also be focused on their body and they would miss the link that it was with their minds. So I went to work in a hospital to train and study in a hospital and then they hired me to stay on. And um, because I wanted to see how this mind-body relationship really, um, how we could bridge that so that we weren't blind to the other end of what was going on in us. And it's interesting because I went from this world of being very much involved in just psychology to being very much in this medical world. So I felt like one of these things I've always done is bridge over into other worlds. That's been a, a consistent pattern in my life. And so there's, I, I found this um, concept for that called a boundary spanner, which is a fancy way of saying a bridge, I think, but meaning that you, you bridge these two things. And I've just done a meditation training where he, he did this whole talk about being a bridge and the bridge between the known and the unknown. And I thought, here we go again with this bridge building thing, right? These uniting these two things, these, these aspects of ourselves or our world or our understanding that are disparate, but they're not really disparate, but we need something that knits them back together, which is of course what yoga is. Yoga is this yoking together, this joining together of what's already joined, but it reveals to us that it is. And it enables us to move from this place that we, feels real to us and that we know to this place that feels less real to us so that it can become known. And I think that's a lot of what we're doing in our yoga practice. And so I did that early on um, in psychology. And then once I was there, I was in this hippie groovy community. And part of what I loved about Colorado is it's a, it's a, it's a place of outstanding natural beauty. It was a place I'd been drawn to as a child. I had written um, papers on Colorado because of the Indian tribes there, the particular Indian tribes there, I'm particularly drawn to their spiritual realities. And then I found out when I was there that they believe they were Tibetans who migrated over. And so they have a lot of shared um, values in the American Indian community there that are similar to what you'd find in Tibet or in India and in the yoga traditions. And in fact, this morning I woke up and thought, I will find this necklace that I haven't worn in years. And I, I just realized as I'm talking about this now, I hadn't even thought about it, it was that unconscious. Um, but I'm wearing this turquoise necklace with a door uh, cut off in the middle and it's called a soul window. So this is the sky and this is a soul. And my husband had this made for me for my birthday a couple of years ago, which is coming up again soon. And it's this, um, so I was really drawn to their spiritual beliefs in this area and the natural beauty there. It made you feel whole, right? Like the, the natural environment where I could be active was also a spiritually enriched place. And in fact, there are more religious communities that have their headquarters in Colorado than any other state in the United States. So I think I'm not alone in feeling that draw. 
But while I was there, um, I was working at the children's hospital and I was doing yoga and it was two separate realities. Like it was yoga was the thing that got me out of the hospital. Like I sat all day and I listened to other people's needs and I didn't move my body. And then I had to leave to go to my yoga class. It, it was the thing that made me stop. And so I was very dedicated in going. And then at a certain point I thought, I wanna do more than this health club yoga, right? And so there was a, this is a long story. Is it okay if I tell a long story? Absolutely. Okay, <laughs> so I, um, I had a yoga teacher and I said, I wanna to go, there was this yoga journal conference, yoga journal, at that point, they only had one conference. It was in Colorado. It was in Estes Park, which is the mountains. And I said, I wanna go and I don't know any of these people these big name yoga teachers, you know, I don't know any of them. Who should I take a class with? And she recommended a few of them. So I took classes with people whose names you will all know. And it just blew my mind taking these classes with these really skillful, knowledgeable teachers. And one after the other was just amazing. But the last one on the last day was Rod Stryker. And I thought, wow, I love the way he guides me in asana. I did a headstand for the first time. And I felt like this really just matched me the way he guided. And I love that there's this breathing practice. We're also doing pranayama in here. And he started it talking about philosophy. And I like, I got into yoga because I was first interested in Buddhist philosophy. I was really interested in the philosophy and the dovetailing between the philosophy and the psychology, psychological understanding that I already had. And I thought, this guy's the whole practice. And I, I decided I wanted to study with him. And he was doing a retreat in Hawaii in a few months. And I thought that wouldn't suck. And so I, my husband for my birthday sent me to this retreat in Hawaii. And I've been studying with him ever since. So it's this idea that they say that, you know, when you're ready, the teacher appears. And for me, that really worked. And so I began studying with him and I did this retreat and it blew my mind because he was doing stuff I'd never heard of in my health club yoga classes. But I loved it and I loved the community. And then he was gonna do a teacher training and I had zero thought about being a yoga teacher. I was a psychologist with a more than full plate, but I wanted to learn more and it seemed like the way to do it. And so I, I went off and I did the first part of the teacher training with him. And lo and behold, my friend who had introduced me to yoga and introduced me to my husband came to visit me. And in talking with her, I made the decision to do this. And then, then she disappeared from my life. Um, and so I went off and I did this teacher training and absolutely loved it. And then we did it in two halves and went in LA. And then two weeks later, he was gonna teach it at the Himalayan Institute in Pennsylvania. And it was the very first time he ever taught at the Institute, which is where his teacher Pandit Rajmani um, was the spiritual head and he had, in the last couple of years become his teacher. And so I did my second half of my teacher training there and I've been going there and involved with them and this meditation training I just did was with them. So I have continued, I found you know, this whole process, my teacher and his teacher and this entire synergistic lineage in this year, this incredible year. And uh, so I began you know, more seriously practicing yoga and along the way, my boss at the children's hospital, we were, that was retiring, the chair of the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Science, and I was on the search committee for the new chair. And we hired this woman from the children, uh, from another children's hospital in town, the um, National Jewish, which was a leading hospital in the, in the United States on respiratory disorders. 
And she, it turns out, had been practicing yoga since she was a teenager. And she wanted to do yoga research because she thought it would be helpful to help these kids with trouble breathing. And so as part of the interview process and getting to know each other, we found out we both practiced yoga. And she said, why are you doing what you're doing? You should do yoga research with me. And I said, oh, I don't want the publish and perish lifestyle of, of research. No, thank you. And then we hired her as the director and we were going to all these meetings and we were doing all this stuff. And every time I would introduce myself, she'd say, but Lisa's gonna change that and start doing yoga research with me. <laughs> and I kept saying, mm -mm. in fact, my boss offered me a new job, my other boss. So I became a different job instead of doing what she suggested. And she said, went to her, this new boss, I had two, went to the other one. She said, I don't think that's right for Lisa. I think she should be doing yoga research with me. She was <laughs> determined. And then here it gets even more fascinating. Um, it was coming up on Thanksgiving and I was sitting at my desk and this email came across that said, the travel office would give, there were discounts to go to London. I don't remember ever seeing our travel office put travel discount buyers. I worked there for 15 years. I don't think I ever saw another one. But I called my husband and said, you wanna to go to London for Thanksgiving? We'd been for our honeymoon and not been back. And we had told ourselves at some point in our lives, we would move to England. And he said, yeah, let's go. So we booked our tickets, we went to England. We went up to Avebury. I walked around the stone circle and I said, what am I supposed to do with my life? And it said, go do yoga research with Mary Ann. So I went back to Colorado, I became a yoga researcher. <laughs> and we started, um, she's a visionary and she started, she got a philanthropist to donate a million and a half dollars to create the Ponzio Creative Arts Therapist Program. So she funded art, music, dance, yoga therapists dance therapy to all the kids in our psychiatric programs, inpatient, day treatment, outpatient. Ups, my internet's gone unstable, so I'll wait just a second, unless you guys can hear me. Can you hear no, me? you're good. Yeah, the, the pitch has stopped a little bit, but we can hear you finally, so. Okay, it's back now. And, um, and she funded me to be a researcher and to be a yoga therapist. And uh, so I, we started working and providing yoga therapy classes to the girls, the people with eating disorders and medical disorders, and then we expanded it all through the hospital. And that's how I got started. And meanwhile, while I was at that yoga journal conference, I met a woman named Hansa Knox, who was a local yoga teacher. And she was on the board of the International Association of Yoga Therapists. And she had a booth for the IAYT. And it said yoga therapist. And I said, hey, is that a real thing? I'm calling myself a yoga therapist. <laughs> I thought I made it up. <laughs> because I'm a therapist and I'm a yoga teacher and I'm putting them together, you know, that little bridge spanning thing I do. And she said, no, it's a real thing and you need training for it. <laughs> and so a um, couple years later, when I was leaving the children's hospital to actually move to England and follow through on that dream of doing that, um, I, I went to the Himalayan Institute and I met there the woman who was the, or I already knew her because I'd met her in India, the woman who was my yoga therapy teacher, Gary Craftsell's right-hand woman. I had actually met her because, um, well, we were going to India and I met her when I was, we trekked through the Himalayas together. And I had always known I would study with Gary. And then as we're talking, walking through the Himalayas, I find out she's his training coordinator. 
and I go to the Institute. I don't know she's there. She's there out of the blue. And she says, hey, Gary's doing this new training. He's going to do it once, see if it works. He may never do it again. But previously, he required you to do 500 hours of teacher training with him before you could do his yoga therapy training. And she said, he's going to take people who have 500 hours with a teacher he'll accept. And he'll accept Rod's 500 hours. I had 500 with Rod. And, and they have to be licensed healthcare practitioners of some type. Why don't you come in July and do the foundational training? He's going to do a foundational training. And then if you like it, you can do the yoga therapy training. And I had a month left in my job and I took two weeks of that off and I went to that yoga therapy training in California. <laughs> I was hooked. So I moved to England and I flew back and forth between California and England studying yoga therapy for the next two years. And um, that's the long story. And as soon as I finished my coursework, I got invited to a meeting at yoga campus because Elizabeth Stanley and the yoga campus team were going to restart their yoga therapy course. And they needed somebody who could um, do interviews and help with some of the recruitment. And I had run the psychology internship training program and I had done organizing courses and I had done interviews and I had done supervision and creating clinical courses, all that stuff at the hospital. So they invited me to join the faculty and join the board of the yoga therapy course. And that's how it all started. Wow, that's an amazing story, Lisa. <laughs> um, it's so funny. It's, it, uh, as you were speaking, um, I was just reflecting upon how I became a yoga therapist. And weirdly, there was a, there's a similarity between I was sitting at work one day, and as Lisa knows and Dawn knows, and our listeners, some of them may know, is I had quite a nice job up in the city um you know my life was defined in a certain way because of that job and i trained as a yoga teacher um similar to you lisa had no real kind of inkling necessarily that i wanted to teach yoga i'd done the teach training as a way to sort of deepen my understanding of yoga and was was teaching yoga but wasn't particularly getting a lot from the teaching because i felt I wanted to work deeper with people and I was sitting at work one day literally just thinking what am I going to do with my life and an email popped in from yoga campus saying you could be a yoga therapist and I was like I've never heard of one of these before <laughs> this is exactly what I want to do with my life but I hadn't actually formulated those words in my in my brain you know there were just ideas that were rattling around so that then led me to apply for the yoga therapy training and then meeting you so we have emails a lot to answer for <laughs> don't we though don't we though so Obviously, I, I've I've done the yoga therapy training with with yourself, Lisa, and the and the amazing faculty that um, that that offer the training, and then subsequently 
you know, I, I've I've been welcomed into that faculty in various different guises and, and, and different roles that I have there. And it's so lovely to be part of that family. But maybe I think we should explain a little bit more about what yoga therapy is, because mm-hmm. some people will know, and I know some of my clients and people that have been on the journey with me know what yoga therapy is. But for many people, it's quite a, a new thing still. And it's really interesting, I think, now more than ever, as clearly so much is changing in our healthcare systems and they're being pushed to their absolute limit at the moment, where people like yoga therapists can come in and possibly support different parts of healthcare systems or even create new ways for maybe yoga to be interpreted within different specific groups or or regions within, within the globe. So um, how would you describe yoga therapy, Lisa? Well, there's a formal definition, which I used to be able to pull up into my mind, but now we've recently changed it. But to me, it is the, and it goes something along this lines, it's the application of yoga. So drawing on the entire breadth of everything that yoga offers and is, the philosophy, the practice in all its myriad aspects toward the promotion of health and well-being. Empowerment and health and well-being. So it's it is drawing on yoga to assist the individual to live a healthy, happy life with meaning and purpose, fulfilling their purpose. The the Yoga Sutras say that we have everything we need toward our fulfillment and our freedom, and it's enabling us to be ourselves as fully and as freely as we can, who we have the real ability to be, who we really are, in all of its expression. So yoga therapy to me is, is yoga. And what we've done to, to create this, what I used to call it an arbitrary distinction is that we have taken this massive thing of yoga and we've made it somewhat small. We've made it asana. People think yoga is asana often. And that's changing. I think that's changing because once you begin to continue to practice it, yoga keeps getting, can keep getting bigger and you realize there's so much more. But we started with it as about the body and you, people say they're talking a yoga class, they're taking an asana class. And we, even if we say like, I teach a yoga and meditation class, I have to tuck on that and meditation so people know that we're get, what they're getting. Whereas I think yoga is meditation, right? But our language is such that we've made it small. And one of the things Pandichi always says is yoga is so much bigger than we make it, right? We need to realize how much more potential there is. And so if, if a yoga teacher can be a teacher with 200 hours, that's only a start. And I think of yoga as a lifelong learning path, right? So as we continue to continue to gain experience and the ability to learn and understand and put into practice what we learn and to share it with others, that continues to grow. So a yoga therapist is somebody, is somebody who starts off as a yoga practitioner. Everybody starts as a yoga practitioner. And that is the seminal thing of yoga is that it is personal practice. It is, um, it is self-care. It is something we do for ourselves. Even if we're guided by somebody else, we actually have to move our arm or direct our mind or have the experience. And that makes it different than almost every other healthcare modality where we take a pill or we even a needle or a massage or anything else that we do, right? It's something that we do for ourselves. So it's ultimately about our own Um, self-empowerment, self-discovery, self-exploration, self-awareness, 
and, and so the realization of the self is the ultimate aim of this, yeah? But yoga is the ability to be able to do all of those things. And so we start off as yoga practitioners. Some of us become yoga teachers because we wanna know more and we wanna share more. And when we continue to study, so a yoga therapist is somebody who's been a yoga practitioner, a yoga teacher, and then they wanna learn more. I always say it's like graduate school for yoga teachers. And what we do is we broaden out so that we learn more. We learn more about the body, its, its uh, structure, its, its patterns, the way we can positively impact that, the habits that the body has. We learn more about the energy systems, the organs and operation of the internal body and the regulation of that. We learn more about the mind and how it works and how we can work with it. We learn more about these deeper aspects of the self in terms of the internal teacher, the internal intuition, the internal guide that has the blueprint of us about who we are and what we can be and where we are. And we learn more about the connection to everything else that is, that is consciousness within us. And so that's a big job to take on, you know, this wholeness of expression. And um, so I think what we do is we, we expand yoga out into its bigger form and then as yoga therapists, we say, okay, I've got this bigger picture now of yoga. And I meet this person and I think, okay, where are you? What's the condition of your body? What's the condition of your energy systems? What's the condition of your mind? What's the level of your understanding of what you need and want and what brings you joy and fulfills your purpose? And now how can I choose from this great big, huge repertoire to give you something right now that gets you further along your own personal path toward healing or recovery or growth or transformation or wherever you are in that trajectory. So that I can, you know, and so I think of it as like the traditional guru of a, of a yoga practice, somebody who knows you and knows what you need and offers it to you, but you still have to put it into practice, right? But they stand by you and they guide you. They're further along the path. So they know, you know, if something happens, you can hold them while that happens or explain what that is or tell them, you know, turn direction or stay the course, you know, but it's that, it's that really putting into an embodiment yoga in a relational way where there's a guide who has a bigger picture and knows you and can link those two together. I think what's really beautiful as well, Lisa, is, is the, is the feeling within the yoga therapy world that actually there's a lot of support from other yoga therapists and our relationship has grown from you being my teacher to you becoming much more of a mentor and supervisor as I've gone out into the world and met my clients and started to work with them. You've sat very close to me and been giving me really sage and useful advice around how to negotiate myself through their stuff. <laughs> and, and, and for me, it feel, that feels very empowering because actually to use the common term, yoga therapy feels very much like a family of people. And there is people you can reach out to who can give very considered and thoughtful and really compassionate advice back around what it is that you may need to hear. And, 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 and for someone maybe coming to explore yoga, yoga therapy as, as a client or as a student, um, that can feel very empowering to feel part of something that feels very protected and feels very um, held. 
And that, that's, that's, that's what I've noticed through the shift from leaving, become, you know, keeping my yoga teacher hat on, but also putting my yoga therapy hat over the top of it almost, mm-hmm. you know, just that feeling of actually there, there, there's a collective want and understanding to, to support and help people. Mm. And, and that comes across really, really powerfully to me. Mm. I'm so glad you've experienced that. And I think in its best aspect, that's true. And, you know, yoga is relational. It, the word it means to yoke, as we said, right? Mm-hmm. And we are relational beings. And when we feel supported and guided, we can trust and relax a little bit. We re- diminish our fear a little bit. We're more courageous and bold to move, it, move forward, right? But when fear and, and distrust hold us back, it's harder to move forward, right? So one of the pieces of wisdom about you, Daniel, is that you've also sought that out. Right, you've experienced the benefit of it, and you you sought it out, and you've maintained it. And and the more the the teaching that I have is that as a psychologist and as a yogi is that when somebody asks the question, they're letting you know what they're ready for. And the answer about when you tell a kid about sex is when they ask you about sex. <laughs> right, and when and the Upanishads, the teachings about the Vedas, are that is sitting down near to receive the whispered wisdom. And if you look at them, they're all the format of a teacher and a student. When the student asks, the teacher says, oh, here, you're ready to know this. When the teacher, student asks, the teacher says, oh, you're ready to know this. And so this, this relationship is integral. And this is one of the things about yoga therapy that's different from yoga teaching is assessment. Right? And assessment is the way in which we look and listen and hear and see where the condition of somebody and what they need and what they're ready for. Right? And as a yoga teacher, we're not as precisely guided to do that. We do it somewhat in a group class, but it's not as much as, it's not as integral to the role as it is for a yoga therapist. It's an essential element of a yoga therapist. And the other integral part of a yoga therapy is learning to have a therapeutic relationship, which is a teacher relationship is different than a therapist relationship. And so a yoga teacher doesn't usually learn how to have a therapeutic relationship and a yoga therapist does. And so these are two of the differentiating factors how to assess, make use of that information, put it into application, and how to form the kind of relationship that holds somebody to nurture their, the whole the revelations and nurture their growth and support. And so that's not a one-off, that's an ongoing thing. And some people come into our lives for short periods of time, and some people come into our lives for longer periods of time, right? And you've stayed for a longer time, which has been a delight and a pleasure, right? But it is that, it is that relationship which nourishes us um, to grow and change. Thank you, Lisa, for such deep insights. I'm sure that um, our listeners are going to be feeling really curious and empowered about maybe where they can take their own practice from what you've said. And as I was listening, I had a moment of reflection that you know, I've been teaching a very long time and I've seen yoga change for a long time for the worse. It feels like uh, there's a a shift in the tide to more self-care practices and to yoga re-establishing itself for what it truly is. And my, my thought was for a long time, yoga became a practice which created further separation rather than bringing people closer to the sense of oneness within themselves that the practices can lead us to. And it's uh it's sad that that happened, that it became such an ego-based practice about postures, 
about shapes, about what you can attain versus really developing a kind of loving and respectful relationship with your whole being as it is in this moment. And, you know, I, I was just curious to think, of where, where do you think that all came from? Because we know that from the, the yoga scriptures and teachings, that certainly isn't where, where, where how it originated. So what do you think? How, how do you think we got there? And how do you think that that's starting to change now, if you do? I do think it's changing now. I think that people continue to grow and they start at a place. And um, I remember there's a, an Indian teacher who's, who's in America called um, Adil Pakivala. And I went to a workshop with him once in Chicago. And I remember he, he said this, he said, asana is the bait. It's the bait with which we hook them and lure them in. <laughs> and I, my yoga therapy teacher, Gary Krafsow, will sometimes joke and he'll say, the tyranny of the asana. He'll say, asana is meant to serve the person, not the person to serve the asana. The, he, he would call his Vinny yoga practice ugly yoga. It's not about it looking perfect. It's about it perfecting you. It's about it, it's serving you rather than you serving it and trying rather than make a shape, have an experience of. And those things really resonate with me, right? If these are, he'll say, all these are just different ways to put your body in a different place to breathe and to be present with yourself, right? And that's a very different experience of asana than it's supposed to look a certain way. I, I will answer part of your question by saying that I also, um, uh, I, have an admiration for an Indian yoga teacher named Ananda Bali Yogi, who is doing a series of nine satsangs right now. And I've been listening to him and I was listening to him over the weekend. And he did a talk um, recently about, and I trust him about the evolution of Indian lineage as well as having done a lot of study myself, but he was just talking about this. And, and he's of the similar idea that, you know, we've gotten asana really small as opposed to yoga being really big. But he, he, he credits where I do that there were Indian practitioners who brought us primarily asana, right? Mr. Iyengar and Patabi Joyce, they studied with Krishnamacharya and they, they brought us asana and we went to them to study asana. And that's, you know, if you study with Mr. Iyengar, you're supposed to study two years of asana before you're even allowed to do pranayama, mm. right? And in Ashtanga, you mostly get ujjayi breathing. You don't get much of the other things. So I, I, I think that we learned what they taught us. And we fell in love with it and we learned what they taught us. But interestingly, there was a, there was a, a research paper I read, and I'm sorry, I can't give you the author right now. I could give it to you later, um, where they studied some Iyengar practitioners because it's easy to get them. They have a very well-organized structure, you know, and they'll, you can disseminate a research study project to them and they'll, people will do it, you know. And they asked them about their, how long they'd been practicing. So they were looking for novice versus experienced practitioners. And they asked them about their physical health, their emotional health, their sense of overall sense of well-being, their spiritual practice. They asked them all kinds of stuff. And then they, they looked at the people who felt they were the most, they felt the most, the highest sense of well-being. And they were the people who studied philosophy. And it was interesting because these authors concluded, I don't think it's the study of philosophy that makes them feel the best. I think it's the culmination that they started studying asana. And now that they're studying the entirety of yoga and what it has to offer, the bigness of it expands to the bigness of the wholeness of their own understanding, that they have a bigger picture of themselves instead of a small picture of themselves, instead of my body and will my body do this or not, they have a whole sense of themselves and they have a greater sense of expanded well-being. And that resonated for me. 
And I've, I've had conversations with two of my yoga therapy students over the last week or two who've talked about, I did this yoga practice and I couldn't do these things. And I think a yoga teacher is supposed to be or this bendy person and I can't do that. And they felt bad about themselves rather than good about themselves. I'm like, is that really helping you? to come out of a class and feel bad about yourself because your hip doesn't move that way. And so therefore, you know, that's really what yoga is about. So I think we taught people what yoga is. We can teach them it's something else. We can teach them it's something bigger. And it's a bigger view of themselves, a more holistic, holistic view of themselves, more comprehensive view of themselves. And it's not about how far your knee opens up. I hope, I hope we're going there. I think we, I really think we are, I think, and, and it seems to be picking up pace. The conversations around yoga are being challenged in public forums and teachers are starting to speak, speak in a slightly different way about the practice. I mean, even just the odd word dropping in and sort of an awareness and even just the suggestion of a kindness. I don't know that it's necessarily being reflected in a lot of the imagery that we see, um, which still seems very sort of skinny models in bikinis and mainly white of a certain age. Um, but then I kind of feel like as with everything, we are where we are. This, I mean, I'm a strong believer in karma. I think karmically we are where we are. This is the, the result of everything that's gone before. This is where our community is right in this moment. Um, but there is a glimmer of a different story and all we can do is keep pointing that way and you know expressing it more fully and truthfully from um, our personal ex experience um yeah so i'm i'm hopeful i'm hopeful that the practice will become as you say bigger um and kinder more and more loving more loving to 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 ourselves and then ultimately to each other that would be such a legacy can i say that i agree and i think hope is essential and hope backed up with action, you know, and all of us doing these sort of things, they contribute, right, to the raising of awareness and the broadening of perspective. Um, but I also think we need that mindness as we bring yoga into the healthcare environment, because it's another potential place where we might strip things away, mm -hmm. right? Where we might say, oh, well, we can't use Sanskrit words, or we can't do these things, or we can't say these things, or it's all about this. And so, um, we can, we could begin to shrink yoga down again in order to make it fit in. Mm -hmm. And so I think actually you do need to accommodate to the place. We do need to be culturally responsive. We do need to be, but that doesn't mean our thinking needs to get small, mm -hmm. right? And so if we're training people to think, oh, this is all you can do, we're making it small again. So we need the big piece where you can share what you can share in that place and then create the potential for these, you know, to grow. But I think we need to be mindful as we bring it in that we don't, um, we don't lose some of the wholeness. I suppose, you know, that takes me right back, Lisa, to something that you've taught me time and time again is meet whoever you're working with where they are. <laughs> so, you know, if we wanna take yoga into a healthcare environment, we might need to strip a lot of that stuff away, but it doesn't mean we can sneak lots of really good things in the back door that actually you know, <laughs> can be masked as, you know, I always think about, I, I was working with um, the charity Mind with a, a group of women who, um, who had really quite significant PTSD. And um, 
they were really fearful about doing yoga because they had such connotations around what it was going to be. And obviously me being a man, them being women, it being an environment where they, they potentially could feel quite threatened quite easily. And we ended up chanting, we ended up doing um, pranayama practices that they absolutely loved. But if I'd gone in and said any of this stuff, they just would have, they just would have freaked, you know, they, I never even would have got through the door. But, you know, I snuck it in slowly, slowly, slowly. And then they were not interested in, you know, any asana. They wanted to do the chanting. They wanted to sit there and just feel that vibration because for them it felt really safe and really secure. But, you know, how to, 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 have, that, to have that ability to be able to not be afraid of what you know, but just to know that you trust yourself when's the right time to deliver it is a really, really powerful thing. And I think, you know, that is the way we need to approach the healthcare systems in, 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 in one context. Um, sorry, Dawn, you was going to ask something. No, no, I'm fine. I'm just, I'm, it's such a, such a rich conversation really, isn't it? I mean, I'm, my thought is when we stand in front of, no, when we stand in our own space or when we stand with a person or people, the first thing that comes to my mind is what's the kind thing here? you know really what's kind because we know a lot you know we've been doing our job a long time and we're multidisciplinary and etc cetera, etc cetera. but actually sometimes the kind thing is to not talk about any of it but just to be kind and just breathe or you know catch a gaze or you know make it okay for someone to hold the side of a chair or it doesn't matter it's like in the practice ultimately when we strip it all back it's kindness isn't it it's that can you be kind to you can you be kind to each other and then therefore everything else is revealed from that place you know what do you think i think kindness is essential kindness is an expression of love mm. kindness is an expression of love and and this key about starting where the person is because you want them to have an experience of being able to do something that is makes them feel good mm. right it's empowering to them not disempowering not making them feel worse you really want them to feel nourished and benefited by what you're offering. And if we feed people what they're ready for, then it's an easy meal. And then they continue to grow progressively. And if you're tuned in to both your own intuition and what the person is showing, telling you, and if you ask them, then you can begin to see, okay, what are you ready for now? What are you ready for now? What would you, and so instead of like some black and white rule, we have a, well, does this person interested in that? Would they like to do this? If yes, yes. If no, no. We accept the boundaries and we, and we keep it right at this kind of, we're growing along, but we're growing at a pace that feels, you know, really exactly as you say, kind, nourishing, supportive for you. Now, let's be fair. There is a path of yoga that's not about kindness. There's a whole trajectory of austerities. And in fact, that's the path of yoga that the Buddha rejected, if we remember, right? He was well-versed in austerities. And he said, this is not getting me anywhere. And, and when he had his moment of realization is when he realized that, you know what, I should feed this body. I should take care of this body. Not too much, not too little. Goldilocks just right. right? And that's what we're looking for is this kind of being able to feed ourselves at every level of ourselves with the food that's appropriate to ourselves, that nourishes ourselves so that we become more and more capable. And, and, we, and it's, it's love food. 
I was just thinking about when, as you were saying that, Lisa, the the journey that I've been on through my practice of yoga after over the last 20 years. And I, I can see these definite shifts in times in my life when I've changed yoga tradition or I've brought in new practices or I've found a different teacher. And I think this year for me, it, it's been very much about the integration of mantra. And actually, I've probably done the least amount of asana practice this year that I, I've ever done. <laughs> but I've done the most amount of sitting, meditating and reciting mantra. And I know mantra is a huge part of your practice and the Himalayan Institute where you, you align yourself to is, is deeply kind of enriched in the use of mantra and Gary Croftso's work is very much, you know, that's the culmination of where it tends to go is, is the use of mantra. And for me, it's been such a massively influential part of my learning with you and also with my own self-study. And it'd be really interesting to hear a little bit about your stories with mantra and, and you know, what, 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 interested you in the first place and then where it's took you now which is actually a, a thriving online community <laughs> where we meet twice a week and all sit together and recite mantra together so it'd be lovely to hear about that story you know my absolute favorite thing that this lockdown has brought is that thriving chanting community it is the thing i feel best about single best thing and the single best thing for me and i think it's been hearing back people's stories i think it's been really good for the people who turn up and and chant and I'm it was the first thing when lockdown happened I thought or from for years I'd been thinking about how can I add a mantra chanting class at the life center I was trying to figure out how I could do that and having conversations about that and I taught one one half day workshop on it and um, the people who came really liked it and I was thinking how am I going to start teaching this and then when the lockdown came I thought, oh, this is what we need. We need to be chanting this particular mantra, the Mahamitran Jaya Mantra, which is the mantra of healing. And I thought, how can I do this responsibly? Because a mantra is available to all. The mantra, Mahamitran Jaya the Mantra is available to all. But if it's given to somebody who's not interested and not wanting, not ready, it's like throwing, you know, seeds on the ground that are not ready to be receptive you know you're wasting it or you're or you're giving somebody a bad impression of it if they don't if they really don't want it so how do i create a space where it's safe and sacred it's contained and it's inviting and it's open you know the balancing act of those two boundaries and so i i've created this facebook page and we started chanting the maha and jaya mantra and then we progressed on to some other mantras and like today i I was moving slow this morning with my broken toe <laughs> and I started a little bit late with the chanting. And then I was like, I don't know, I might've missed you guys cause I'm, I'm late being here today. But several people wrote, no, we're here. You know, I was like, oh, you know, this, this community. And so I will say that in this meditation workshop I just did, one of the things he talked about is the Buddha, the Dharma and the Sangha. You know, and he was talking about the, the Buddha is not the person. The Buddha is booty is our discerning intelligence, the capacity that we all have to know what we need and what's right for us and who we are and where to go. That discerning intelligence is a lot of what we're trying to develop in yoga. And 
part of, and then that reveals to us our Dharma. You know, not something like I'm gonna do this, but the deeper wisdom of who you are and what you're here to learn and to do in this lifetime. And the people who join together, who have minds that are focused on revealing their booty and their Dharma and who practice together, that's the Sangha, that's the spiritual community. And so what I wanted to create was a spiritual community. That very sense exactly as you've spoken of several times is family. It's inviting and welcoming and we come together to practice. And that's all we're doing, we're coming together and practicing. And so um, chanting is an important part to me. It is an important part of the Himalayan Institute. It is an important part of Gary's work. So, and it's an important part of Rod's work. So I have had that in all of my principal teachers, this, this focus. And the very first time I had a yoga therapy session, well, no, yeah, the very first time I met with Rod as my teacher and asked for a practice, the very first practice he gave me was a mantra. So from the beginning of me having received a practice, it was a mantra practice. And so I've been chanting that mantra for a very long time. And over time, my relationship to it has grown. And, um, and it's just, um, and all the teaching I have is that this, when I, you know, I was rereading the, these, I would like to recommend in your resources, um, these two copies of the first two chapters of the Yoga Sutras by Pandachi, the practice of the Yoga Sutra and the secret of the Yoga Sutra, they're fabulous. And they, you read the sutras and they say, you know, pranava, which is the sense of newness in us, is an, a chanting mantra is an embodiment of pranava. It's what renews us. Right? It creates the conditions in us that are the same as the conditions of the sage when they heard the sound, which was heard in a sound of deep meditation when they're connected to the beyond. And that what we're trying to do is kind of reconnect ourselves to that wisdom so that we can build that bridge to that space and that space of understanding. And so it's words, but it's words that have meaning and the meaning has a feeling and the feeling is the path. And so I often describe it as like a port key for those of you who've read your Harry Potter books. You know, you hold on to something and it takes you somewhere else. And mantra is that. Mantra is that I hold on to this aspect of practice. I hold on to it. I hold on to it. I stay with it. I stay with it. And it allows me to grow and change and, and, and experience something different. It's the port key that takes me to this place within myself, the taste within myself that's part of everything else. And I have to stay with it, you know, like I stay with it today and tomorrow and the next day, and I stay with it for 108 repetitions and I stay with it. But it, it gradually, in the only way that things do, allows me to grow and change while holding on to something that I, I feel secure in right? and feeling connected to and trust in which is essential for us really having the faith to keep going, right? And to do it with love and devotion that allows us to feel love and to feel, you know, like I wanna do this and to feel drawn in. And that's what we're trying to do, feel really drawn into something rather than, you know, I gotta do this. And, and that's what it feels like for me. I go up and I sit down and I think, ah, oh, we get to chant together. <laughs> I was, um going to ask and you've kind of answered the question really but I was going to say to you could you explain to our listeners you know in simple terms what what is a mantra and how does it work but you've kind of explained that really in that very um eloquent explanation do you, do you feel like you know mantra for people that maybe aren't already involved in yoga practice is it in some way aligned with prayer or deep meditation do you, what would you say about that oh yeah I think it's prayer and meditation 
you know, prayer is a supplication and we're asking usually for something and meditation. We're not looking out. We're looking in, right? So sometimes we look out in order to realize that we're connected in and that, that everything is connected and that we are resourced. And it's a, it's a bi-directional back to our bridge pathway, right? And our senses are trained to look out. So sometimes we start without, right? Where is it outside of me? Cause I don't feel it inside of me. But the real goal is to feel it inside of ourselves and to realize that it's in here and connected to us. So um, our mind thinks in words and pictures, right? So you, you, you give it words that have meaning and those meanings have a, have a feeling and, and they are intended to guide and protect us and to, to nourish and, and nurture us and enable us to have experience the same thing that somebody else did. So this is not a practice where I just believe it because you said it. It's a practice because I believe you enough to try it and then have the experience myself. And, and so that's what we're trying to do, create the conditions in some which we can each experience those things and allow us to feel, you know, uh, that we have what we need. I think just the, the, the Maha Mitran Jaya mantra alone has probably got its own podcast that we can talk about its, its benefits and its, its influence. There's so, there's so, there's so much to it, isn't there? And there's so, it's so rich and deep in, 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 in its, in its delivery of what it offers when you start to chant it. But it takes a long time. I mean, you know, we've talked about this, Lisa. It took me nearly two years to even start to enjoy the mantra. <laughs> I used to battle with it. It was literally painful to sit there and recite it, even 11 times, let alone 108 times. You know, and that took a lot of groundwork. And then that groundwork then started to open up. And you'd have the odd day where you'd be, oh, that wasn't so painful today. <laughs> that was a bit easier. <laughs> but I'm going to stick with it because there's something telling me that I need to do it. And actually now, as we, 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 we've shared, the Mahamitra and Jaya mantra is like a walk in the park. That's easy. You know, we've got other mantras that are a lot harder now. And the, the amazing thing that I've noticed is a different sense of energy that I get from different mantras. Mm -hmm. The only way I could describe the Maha Mitranjaya is like someone giving me a big hug. Whereas some of the other mantras that we've started to work with it, within the group and individually are a little bit more about confronting certain things. You know, it's about looking outwards more and actually, right, what are the obstacles in front of me? Where... Where, where, where am I getting stuck? Where can I find ways of moving around? Or what do I need to shift? Or what do I need to let go of? Or how do I create space? And that's a completely different energy to the, to the healing of the Mahamitranjaya mantra. And, and yeah, it, it's, it's, it's just fascinating, you know, it really is. So you've just articulated what I was saying about it's a feeling. Absolutely. Right? And when yeah. we're working with different feelings or different um, obstacles or opportunities, they feel different. And, and the ones that are um, easier for us are easier for us. The ones that are challenging for us are challenging for us. But you've also put your finger on some of the ones that are challenging. We have an inner sense that actually this is challenging for a reason that I want to stick with. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not interested in your suffering, not interested in being hard and unpleasant, but sometimes we need to persist. And we only do that if we have a feeling that there's some place I can trust that this is good for me because really don't want you doing something that isn't good for you, right? Mm -hmm. And I do know you and I had multiple conversations about it 
And it would be like, okay, then just stick with what, you know, stick with 11. Yeah. Yeah. Or yeah. do this other thing and then come back and see if that yeah. changes. And that's where having a teacher guide, having a therapist guide can be really helpful because otherwise we're just left to our own devices and we don't know how this can unfold. And so it's really helpful to have somebody we can come to and say, has this happened? Do we, you know, why is this happening? Do you think this means go? Do you think this means stay? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm just thinking for our listeners, it might be useful just to say, because we're using words that, again, if people haven't experienced mantra, they won't necessarily understand, you know, what does 11 and 108 mean to you? Oh, that's a very good question. So, um, when we chant mantra, which are chanting mantra with a, you can use a, you know, you may have seen those, the people may have seen or worn necklaces called malas. They're intended to be counting beads like a rosary is. And um, there's 108 beads on them. So if you count one whole mala, you've done 108 repetitions. The uh, teaching also goes that your mind tends to wander. So you only get to count credit for a hundred because probably eight of them you were checked out somewhere. <laughs> but, um, but it's 108, which is a, a number which has a lot of um, numerical significance in the yoga tradition. And if you, and you can do fractions of that. So you can do 54 or 28 um, repetitions instead. As you slowly build up learning the words, being able to say them, being able to repeat them, being able to sit with it. And so we, we want to start where the person is and gradually build up. So those little wrist mala bracelets can be really useful because then you can just do that many of them and feel like, oh, I've done it, you know. Um, the, the 11, though, is sometimes when you're doing um, a practice and you're not going to do the whole 108 or 28, but you're acknowledging it. Um, and I remember getting the answer to why 11, and I can't pull it out of my brain right now. But one reason is you've got 12 sections to your finger and you can count them. So you start with your forefinger and your thumb and that's one and you slide it down to the middle and that's two and down to the bottom and that's three and you slide it over to the bottom or the middle and that's four up to the middle is five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. And then there's something about the space beyond where you haven't quite gone to. But there's many reasons for 11 but there are some that we do now where a mantra that we chanted earlier, we still wanna be connected to it so we'll chant it 11 times. So we're still honoring it. We're still connecting it. We're invoking the power of it because it's, it's already established in us. And we can kind of do 11 to connect to it. And then we move on to the one we're doing now. And we do 108. Mm -hmm. So whenever I've been given a new mantra, I've always been told, chant the old one 11 times. It's familiar. You love it. It's an entry point. It connects you to it. And then that opens the door for this next one. And so that's what we've been doing. I think it's... Um such a powerful gift the practice of mantra and uh, meditation and i really really hope that our listeners are if they haven't practiced before and now curious enough to maybe give it a try and i know there'll be some information in the links around the podcast for people to maybe do some sort of dip their toe in with perhaps different um teachers maybe yourself or maybe some things they can read about it because it really is a is a life transforming practice I'm kind of mindful of, of our time and God, we could just keep going another time. We'll have to come, come back to this conversation. Just let's, I wanted to finish by asking you, you know, you've moved, you're in a new country at the moment. You know, how, how are you coping up with your self-care routine? What are you doing to look after yourself right now? So I just want to say um, that I 
and as right when you were talking, I was thinking, okay, so I finally made the chanting. I finally made that committee. I'm, I've got to offer a chanting course, like so people can sign up. And I'm, I'm dealing with my own, you know, insecurities and resistances and figuring out how to bring that into being. So um, I thought I would tell you guys, oh, here's a link. I'll do this course. And I would commit to it here. But I guess I'm still hedging because I didn't give you that. <laughs> but I'm going to say it out loud before I before I take it back that there'll be something and I'll we'll have something on my website and so something will come. How do I take care of myself? Well, it's been really important to me. The first part of lockdown, I did a lot of teaching. I immediately moved to teaching online. My class, the technology was poor, but I'm hoping the teaching was good. Um, I had been fighting myself to make a website for years. I finally made a website. I, um, we moved the yoga, yoga campus yoga therapy course online the first weekend of lockdown. And then we were training our yoga therapists how to do yoga therapy online. And I was doing a lot of yoga therapy online. So I was doing a lot of teaching. And I, I started to feel like I'm out of balance with being a student. And it's essential to me to be a student. And one of the things about being a, teach, a teacher for me is that I always study. I study to teach again, right? But I really wanted to be a student. So this second half of lockdown and once we moved, I've signed up for a couple of courses. Um, this medication course that I've mentioned through the Himalayan Institute, this nine satsangs with Ananda. Um, I'm, I'm also doing a step-by-step -step once a month yoga teacher training course that through his ashram that's online right now, because I wanna study with um, people who know more than me. I wanna keep being a student. I wanna keep learning. I wanna keep being guided. I wanna um, continue to grow. And so that's been an important part of it. And asana is generally for general wellness for me. Asana is not a huge part of my practice. My exercise, kind of like yours, Daniel's become cycling, running, being outside. You know, that's my cardio. And, and asana is about taking care of my body in a gentle and supportive and nourishing way. Um, I do a lot more pranayama and a lot more meditation and chanting. That's where mine is because, um, and my body sometimes needs a little more asana than I'm giving it. <laughs> uh, but moving here, moving to the Netherlands, we couldn't have picked a better place to be in lockdown. We live in an, across from a park. It's beautiful, it's green. I wake up in the morning and I have this bank of windows and I can see the sunrise over the treetops. I get on my bike and I can ride 20 minutes to the beach. Um, I can go through the sand dunes. It's, there's canals and, and parks and trees. And being outside for me and being part of nature is just a huge part of, always has been a better part of my spiritual practice. So I am so grateful. And I love living in a place where I can walk to things and I can just walk to my little village that's right down the street. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's a little lonely sometimes to realize I know very few people around. I'm exceedingly grateful that I can still do all these online things. So instead of having to let go of some of my work life, I've been able to take it with me in a way I never could have envisioned, a, you know, a number of months ago. Um, so yeah, it's, it's people, it's, um, I go up to my husband and I interrupt him and I make him hug me for at least 20 seconds. That's a big part of my self-care. Um, we eat well, get outside, snuggle with the cats, a lot of snuggling with the cats. They're just embodiments of oxytocin. You know, they just, they're just love inoculators. That's what I call them. 
it sounds like um, you and a lot of people I'm speaking to who are maybe a little bit taking the time who, to switch on to what they need, you're just simplifying, you know, the, sim the simple things have become very important, you know, and all the, the bits that we add on around are, that seems perhaps more important before are le less so. Uh, so it's, uh, that's, there's the gift in lockdown for me, I think. Absolutely. I completely agree. It's been so beautiful to speak to you. I'm really grateful for this time we've had and um, and this space. And I know Daniel wanted to say a few words. I know you've got to dash off. Yes. Um, Lisa, thank you so much for your time today. And just for me, you've been an inspiration. You've really helped guide and mould my life in different ways. And, you know, there's not enough words to say thank you. So thank you. That's all I can say. <laughs> thank you, Daniel. It is, a, you know, we're walking this path together and it's a real pleasure to walk it with you. So thank you so much. It's right back at you. Thank you. So this is my little section about what's coming up next. Um, so we've got three really exciting interviews that we're doing. Um, the first one is with this very inspiring, lovely young lady um, called Zahara Khan. And she is a woman's health um, student. So she's actually uh, doing an MA at the moment. Um, and we felt it was really useful to maybe get someone from a slightly different generation to Dawn and us to speak about actually what's empowering them to want to go and learn about women's health. Um, Zahara's got a very 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 wide view of how women are represented in the world and she's got a lot to say about it so we're really excited about chatting with her um, we've also um, got the team from the hope foundation um, the, the um, who are running the yoga garden party online in january so we've got vicky simon and ruth coming to speak to us all about um, the fundraising that they're doing and this amazing project that they've they've been running for years along with the Hope Foundation about really giving back to where India's or where yoga's roots have come from to India and, and, and South Asia. And we're also speaking to um, one of Lisa's favourite people, Uma Dinsmortilli. <laughs> Huge love and respect for Uma. And we'll be, again, we'll be talking about um, women's health. We'll be talking about her book, Yoni Shakti, and the amazing work that she's doing about raising awareness of protection of women in yoga spaces. So a lot going on. <laughs> I can't wait, Daniel. I've got so I'm gonna be feel like a dinosaur when we're talking to Zara. I know I'm already I'm already thinking about my, you know, getting some understanding around that stuff. And uh, this conversation is gonna be incredible. I'm so excited for them. So I guess I'm gonna have to keep listening to the podcast. That sounds fab. Absolutely. Well, you know, Lisa, you can subscribe, you can review. <laughs> You can share with others. That's what I needed to say. I completely forgot. <laughs> so thank you so much for being here today. And um, thank you, Dawn, for your time and sending you lots of love um, to you and your family because I know you've been through a lot this week. So thank yeah, you, Let everyone. me get on that too. Sending love, Dawn. Thanks, everyone. Until next time. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.